The UK is where we are going to begin this hour because British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, if he was celebrating over the weekend, he might not be celebrating later on this afternoon. He is facing a non-confidence vote at this hour. Lawmakers in Britain voting on his future right now. His leadership, of course, has been somewhat derailed by that Partygate scandal, plus a plenty of criticism over his response or lack thereof to inflation, the rising cost of living, in a series of local election defeats. Uh, results, by the way, that non-confidence vote expected. Uh, voting is underway right now, expected around uh, 4 o'clock our time, 4 o'clock uh, Eastern. For more on this, here is uh, Tom Parkin, Principal at Impact Strategies, John Capabianco, who, of course, is a Senior VP with Fleischman Hillard High Road. Both of them uh, join us uh, once again. And, uh, John, let me begin uh, with you, if I could, here on this uh, Monday afternoon. Plenty of uh, high drama over there in uh, Britain at the uh, House of Commons. Uh, what are you expecting out of this uh, non-confidence vote? Well, you nailed it, Jeff, when you said that the celebrations for the Queen were spectacular over the four days. And uh, I think a lot of us were able to watch that. So from that good news, we turn into somewhat sour news with respect to Boris Johnson, who's, uh, who's facing his political career future uh, as we speak. And, you know, in, in, in Britain, like, I guess, our parliamentary system in some ways, but certainly with the British, the, the parliamentary system that, that the leader, all you need is 15% of your caucus. So the, the Conservatives have, I think, 359 members of parliament. So 15% of that means only 54 of them have to write a letter, which they did, um, to, uh, to, the, to the House leader to say that they want a, a vote to review the, uh, the, the, the Boris's leadership, which has is, which is sparked this leadership review. And, and you know, I, they feel pretty comfortable, I guess, that they're going to get the majority. But here's the question, though, and this is a question to all, including Jason Kenney here in our own country in Alberta, who faced the same leadership uh, question and, and received a, a number of votes that he felt weren't good enough for him to continue. And that is, uh, what number? of the percentage that he's going to get by way of support is enough for Boris Johnson to continue. I suspect that, you know, 51, 50% plus one is the majority he needs, but he'll likely need to get somewhere probably north of 70%, I suspect, for him to want to stay and continue on with some level of confidence. But it is, it's a result of the ethics scandals and, and some of the COVID rules that he broke over the course of the last couple of years that, that, that he's in this position. Yeah, it's an interesting parallel you make there between Johnson and Kenny. As we uh, recall, a uh, short time ago, just a few weeks ago, Kenny got uh, that just over 50%, but uh, really felt as if he needed 75-80 to continue on as leader in Alberta. So, uh, Tom, uh, what is your read on this uh, situation with Boris Johnson? Well, uh, it's an interesting process. I think, you know, if we have a sec, I'd love to just expand on that because it's different than what we've what we go through here in Canada, a different structure and process, sure. maybe better, maybe worse. But yeah, I think John uh, nails it. Um, you know, he's going to be wounded. He's been wounded uh, for a long time. He's been a wounded leader for a long time. And this is just one more shot. And whether it, uh, you know, uh, whether it kills his political uh, career or whether it just wounds him is probably a deadly wound. Uh, the Labour Party has been ahead in the polls for quite some months now. They had their election only in 2019, so they're not really due for an election. So I think from the perspective of a lot of Conservative members of uh, the UK Parliament, they're thinking, well, if we're going to dump this guy, this is a good time because it gives us the opportunity to put somebody else in and get some uh, runway toward the next election. All right. Uh, John, what does this do if uh, Boris Johnson is uh, wounded here when it comes to not only UK uh, politics, but uh, world politics, do you think? 
I, I think a lot. You know, Boris has been huge uh, in the, on, the, on the, not only in the UK, obviously, uh, but but at the world stage, and especially over the Ukrainian issue. I thought he's been sort of one of the first G7 global leaders who's kind of leaned in uh, and really has you know supported Ukraine through this process. But more importantly, not only supporting Ukraine but blasted Russia. Uh, more so than some of his other um, um, country leaders. So I thought he was really big on that in, in some ways. But he's a pretty charismatic and larger-than-life personality. So I think anything that, that happens to Boris Johnson is going to be felt not only within the UK, of course, but but certainly around the world and, and with his G7 partners, um, because he's played such a, a pivotal and key role, which is why I think a lot of members in his caucus feel that he might survive this vote, notwithstanding the fact that he's he's been wounded, as Tom says quite correctly, and, and, and could probably continue to be wounded but you know he's apologized he's he's trying to do his he's trying to make some amends over the course of the last little while he's paid a fine that he had to pay um and he's tried to move on from this but i think what every political leader hates and this happened to doug ford back in the day in his early stages before the pandemic when he was at a rally i think it was the toronto raptors victory party where he was booed on stage and i think that really took him aback and that's when he made some sweeping changes to his to his staffing team and others and, and sort of you know the pandemic and, and of course the election it, it, it speaks for itself but i think when when boris johnson got booed jeff uh, more recently at the, at the celebration which, which he didn't expect that kind of turns politicians it makes them reflect as to where they stand and, and where things are going and, and i think it did the same with this caucus all right, John, you referenced the Ontario election. Let's go from the U.K. to closer to home in the Ontario election, where, of course, last week we lost not one but two uh, party leaders. Tom, let's start with the NDP in the wake of uh, Andrea Horvath and her uh, resignation uh, stepping down. Uh, what is the latest uh, with the party there? There's been a lot of talk, of course, about uh, Merritt Stiles. Yeah, well, she's a, she's a, being a terrific education critic. Uh, she won her riding securely. Uh, she's a good communicator. Um, so I think, you know, there's definitely, uh, she hasn't said that she will do it. I think she was on another radio station recently saying she was thinking about it. But I think there will be others as well. It'll be a, a competition. Um, the process from here is that um, Ms. Horvath has stepped down. So the party in the next few days has got to uh, go through a process to select an interim leader and uh, that has to work its way out because what happens is the provincial council, which is uh, sort of the mid-sized body, there's an executive, then there's the convention, that's the small and the large body, but the one that's in between the council actually has to make this decision. So pulling together a group of a couple of hundred on a Zoom uh, to, um, to approve uh, the, interim, uh, the interim leader is, is not a simple task. And so, but I'm told... I, spoke with some folks in party office uh, late last week, and they said that they thought that would be doable within days. So perhaps at the later part of this week or, or next, there'll be a new interim leader, uh, I'm assuming from the caucus. And, and then the, the party will organize a leadership uh, event. It's a, it's a one member, one vote system. So that's, um, you know, requires people going out and getting new memberships. I think there's interesting dynamics about the different structures of selection processes. Uh, This is something um, that really requires any leader to go outside of the party bubble rather than trying to control the party or trying to win local local races with slates. uh, You can uh, go to areas of strength and sign people up uh, and uh, 
and and everybody's vote is is one is, is an equal vote uh, for for Mart or for any of the candidates who might come forward. I think it's, it's critically important that this person um, gets in the position, in my opinion, gets into the position quickly, establishes a team quickly, uh, and can show that this person has not only uh, a, a strong relationship with the caucus, but can talk on shows like yours and others, Jeff, and and make sure that. Uh, this person is a communicator uh, because the biggest, I think the biggest error that was made by the NDP in the last four years uh, was to not keep that kind of regular communication strong enough. And as a result, they came into the last election, apparently in third, although on seats, we're not sure now, but certainly polling in third and therefore voters very confused about, well, how do I, if I'm not a Ford supporter, how am I supposed to vote? Am I supposed to vote for the Liberals or, or who, who seem to be in second or the NDP who have more seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they, they can't, uh, there can be no backsliding. And I think anybody who runs has to address their plan to make sure that never happens again. Okay, John, of course, the Liberals are also looking for a new leader after Stephen Del Duca stepped down. And I want to pick up on something Tom mentioned there a moment ago, one member, one vote, because the Liberals, apparently, they are looking at maybe moving to that when it comes to selecting a leader, moving away from the delegated leadership process where basically uh, ridings, riding associations elect representatives who cast their vote for uh, the leader at the party's convention. Yeah, I think they'd be well served if they did that process. Of course, the conservatives, both at the federal level, at the provincial level, have gone to a, uh, <clears throat> a one-member-one-vote system, although albeit a weighted system per writing, but certainly a one-member-one-vote system. And I think that allows for a broader discussion about policy issues and directions. You know, the federal conservatives are, are undergoing their own leadership convention as we speak now, um, and, and it's causing some level of discussions with the party. I think the NDP are in, a, are in stronger position because they've obviously had the official office position. They've got a lot more seats. They've got a lot more rich MPPs, um, talent-rich MPPs to pick from. You mentioned Mer- Merritt Stiles, who I think is is, is is really, really strong candidate and others. And the Liberals have a lesser group to have to pick from. And I think the mistake that they did when they picked Steve Del Duque was that he never had a seat in the legislature. And that is a challenge, notwithstanding the fact that we were in a pandemic, Jeff. And of course, you know, the opposition leaders just generally don't get a lot of attention when it comes to when, when times of crisis. But not being in the legislature hurt his visibility and him getting out there. So if they're going to pick a new leader, the Liberals, which they have to, you know, the decision is, do they pick from one of the eight that's in there now or do they go outside mm and risk not having somebody in the legislature again for the next couple of years. That's a good point. Uh, Tom, I only got about 30 seconds, but last word to you on this. Would your advice, whether it be the NDP or the Liberals, who again are both looking for new leaders, should they take their time, make sure they've got the right person, or do you think time is maybe of the essence here that you want somebody uh, in there in opposition uh, to uh, John's uh, point in there every day in, in the legislature? I, I think generally it's best to try and do these things quickly. Uh, when I was more involved in the NDP, the uh, the transition between Jack Layton after he died to Tom Mulcair was um, was was long, and then there was a long transition after Tom Mulcair was um, voted out as leader. Those were uh, th- that left uh, the the New Democrats federally uh, drifting for quite some time with uh, an interim leader, uh, while the strongest candidates are out there trying to become the leader. So I think generally it's it's a it's a it's shorter is better. The Liberals, though, have a, a little problem if they want to go to a one-member, one-vote system. I assume that means they're going to have to change their constitution, 
which means delay while you have a convention that changes your constitution, and then you can start the leadership on a new basis. So that's a bit of an argument in my my mind against uh, making them mm. only because it, it delays and doesn't get your team in place as soon as possible. All right. Got to leave it there for now. Tom, John, appreciate you both. Appreciate the time as always. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. Thanks. There goes John Capobianco and Tom Parkin. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.